0: Welcome to the Advanced Foundations podcast, where you will hear life-changing truths from Terry Moore, founding pastor of Sojourn Church. Over 30 years, he has developed a series of courses to help people be disciples of Christ who make a difference. We hope you will subscribe below to receive weekly messages. Cross is the Key is a six-part series of messages that are about 25 minutes in length to help the listener get a deeper understanding of everything Jesus paid for through his death, burial, and resurrection to His heavenly throne. Welcome to Cross of the Key. This is one of our equipping series that I'm excited to share with you. Uh, When we talk about the cross, you know, in a Christian faith, I mean, everybody knows what a cross is. Obviously, it's a uh, symbol of death, but it's probably one of the most recognizable symbols in the Christian world. In fact, a lot of people that are not even Christians recognize and understand what a cross is. Understanding of the cross is crucial to us becoming disciples who make a difference in this world. 1 Corinthians of chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the message of the cross, it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Very interesting verse. Uh, and it, it really makes a lot of sense because to the outside world that doesn't know Jesus, um, wow, the cross itself of, of, of our, quote, Savior going to the cross and dying, it's, it's foolishness. But it, but the understanding of the cross, and when I talk about the cross, I'm not talking about just the crucifixion, but everything that happened through the crucifixion, uh, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It is the power of God to those of us who believe. So, This event that did happen nearly 2,000 years ago, it it was the greatest event in all of history. So what I want to talk about is understanding of the cross is the key. Now, when I say the cross is the key, I was reading, this is some years ago, out of Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus asked his disciples, said, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're Elijah, and some say you're John the Baptist or one of the prophets. He said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. He said, that's right, Peter. said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom. Well, when I read that, that verse, I think it's verse 19. When I read that, the keys of the kingdom, I had a vision. I call it a vision of, of something that when I was about six years old, I would go to my grandmother's house and they had, she had this old armoire and for a six-year-old, the key was about eye level. It was an old skeleton key and I would, of course, I'd pull it out play with it and they told me, don't play with it because you'll lose the key, which of course, obviously, I played with it all the time. I had not thought about that. I had not, that, that, I'd never thought about that picture in my mind for years, but all of a sudden, I had that picture Vividly in my in my mind's eye, I just said, "Wow, Lord! Okay, the keys to the kingdom, uh, you, the key." When I was a little kid, I just thought, "What? What are you doing? I know you're trying to show me something." I spent a long time, really, it's probably a year, thinking about that particular. I thought it was something from God. One night, I was watching TV, Christian TV, and pre, the person preaching was standing behind a a clear plastic lectern that had a very ornate cross uh, etched in it. And it was very ornate. I saw that and I go, wow, look, there's that cross. And the moment that I said that, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and he said, the cross is the key. And I mean, it it flooded back was the picture of that, the old skeleton key. Actually, when I recall, it sort of looked like that cross etched in that lectern. So all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, cross is the key. So that set me on a journey that really I spent years looking and praying and asking God to show me and reveal to me this issue, the key, is the, the cross is the key. Lord, help me, help me understand that. So what we I've put together this to help us understand the cross is the key to everything in our Christian walk. It is the key to victory. It's the key to us living in victory. It's the key to everything that we do. And it is so very important for us. So I wanna just continue right on. The first thing I really wanna talk about and the the whole thing I wanna make a point here is that the first thing that I I feel like the Lord has showed me and there's all kinds of things we're gonna talk about through this entire series But the very first thing is to know that cross represents the awesome, amazing love of a heavenly father who loved us so much that he gave us his son to die. Uh, I don't know how else to say that. John 3.16, I know this is a passage that if you've been in church at all, you've probably heard this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Again, this is a passage of scripture that is so, um, I think is profound, uh, even though it was probably the very first, scripture I remember learning in a Sunday school class years ago. But really, it's profound. God so loved that he gave. And so the cross, when we think about the cross and what Jesus went through, that cross represents the amazing, awesome love of a heavenly father who loved us so much that he gave us everything that we could possibly ever need. He loved us that much. So, first and foremost, talking about the cross, the key, I just want us to think about for just a moment that cross represents that's how much God loves you. See, so much of the time I read that passage, and so God so love the world, you know, it's like, okay, I, you know, love the world. But you need to personalize it. I need to personalize that. God loved me. He loved me so much that he would send his greatest gift. Most precious gift, his own son, to go to the cross and die for me that is love, amazing love and in the cross, every time we see a cross, I pray that you just the first thing you think of, wow, that's how much God loved me that's how much it loved romans five eight says he demonstrated his love while we were still sinners by going to the cross and dying for us see it's not it's not just a word it's not just say it's emotion I, I love you no. He demonstrated his love. He went to the cross. He went through the horrible punishment of the cross. He died for us on the cross. So I just think in, the cross is a picture. And I pray every time you see a cross, every time you see something that resembles a cross, I pray that the first thing that crosses your mind is, wow, that's how much God loves me. He loves me so much that he would give his greatest gift for me that's love. And that's what happens when the Father loves us. And so I just want us to, to think about that. You can. There are so many scriptures that we could look at. Obviously, 1 Corinthians 13 talks about what love is. Love is kind and all that. But if you think about that, that's if God is love, in which it says in 1 John 4, it is He is, God is love, then every time you see love, you could replace that with God. So that's who God is. He is love and He loves you. He loves me. So the first and foremost thing is to recognize that the cross represents the amazing, awesome love of a father. He is our father, and he loves you, and he loves me. Now, why the cross? Uh, you know, when we really think about it, wow, did Jesus really have to go to the cross and die? Well, the problem here is that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it wasn't just a, you know, they missed the mark and they just sort of messed up. No, that sin in the garden, and this is Genesis 3, that sin separated them from God. And because of their sin, the Bible says that we have inherited from them that sin nature. Unfortunately, um, it, it causes a separation. This is Romans chapter 3, verse 23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Uh, that's not real good. So if, I, if we're all in sin and the wages of sin are death, then really we've all got a death certificate upon us when we are born. So what, how did that get solved? Well, the picture is all the way from the Old Testament. And the first picture is to understand that even in the garden, God had to slay an innocent animal, and that blood had to be shed to produce covering for Adam and Eve. So even from the very beginning, the solution was already a type and pictured in the Old Testament. Furthermore, go to the, uh, especially in Exodus, when the children of Israel were in captivity in Egypt, they cried out to God and, and God sent deliver Moses. Now you can find this in Exodus 7 through 10. You can find out all about the plagues that happened there. But the last plague was the death of the firstborn. And what God told Moses is to tell the people to take a lamb, a spotless lamb, and to kill it, and to take the blood and put it over the lintels and the doorpost of their home. And then take that lamb and eat it entirely and the death angel is going to come over and if the blood is on that on that home the death angel would pass on over any place that the blood was there it would the death angel would pass over and it was called passover that is still celebrated today and it is a picture of jesus passing over the death passing over us when the blood of the lamb is applied So the death angel killed the firstborn in Egypt, except for those where the blood was covered. A picture. Later in the wilderness, when they were in the wilderness, he said, build me a tabernacle that I might dwell among you. So what's that about? God's heart has always been for us. He always has wanted to spend time with us. And so he told them to build a tabernacle in the wilderness so that his presence could dwell there. Again, you can read this. This is all in in Exodus. Um, But the point is, is that the only way to go into the presence of God was through blood, was through the innocent animal being sacrificed. Again, all of this points to that ultimate sacrifice that Jesus did at the cross. So that's why I'm sharing this. The Old Testament solution for sin was blood. Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, There is no remission of sin. Again, it's just like, wow, that's amazing. Um, Help me understand that. Because it's a deal where, you know, it's like, wow, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But this is God. God planned it from the very beginning to be this way. So the whole point of the Old Testament points to the reality of the ultimate Lamb of God who would come and who would pay the penalty for our sin and would shed his own blood. Now, this is a huge picture you can read in Hebrews where it talks about that his sacrifice was a sacrifice that he did once for all. But the Old Testament is a picture. Every animal that was sacrificed going into the temple, uh, into uh, the the tabernacles, any of those deals, there were thousands and thousands of animals that were sacrificed. All of those sacrifices, it it took blood. Death and blood. Death and blood was the only way to atone for sin. Now, again, in the Old Testament, they atoned for sin only one time a year. So it wasn't a complete removal of sin, it was just covering of sin for a year. But all of it pointed to the ultimate Lamb of God. So, what is God's New Testament sin solution? Well, Jesus came as the Lamb of God. This is uh, John 1, verse 29. Remember, John the Baptist is baptizing, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, the bottom line is, is that no animal sacrifice could take away sin. The animal sacrifices from the Old Testament only could cover sin and could atone for sin one time a year. We couldn't take away sin. So Jesus comes as the Lamb of God. This is Revelations 5, verse 6. I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. See, Jesus' payment for our sin was a complete payment. He paid in full for us to be completely forgiven. It's not covering our sin as the Old Testament sin solution was the blood of an animal. No, the blood of Jesus completely cleanses us. And so the, the complete solution for sin was Jesus. So when I say the cross is the key, and we talk, we're talking about the cross representing the amazing, awesome love of God, that was a real deal. I mean, he really went to the cross and died for us. I mean, it was amazing. So this point that I'm trying to get across here is that it requires death. So sin requires death. And, and all the animals that died in the Old Testament were sacrificed, but they were pointing to the ultimate sacrifice that's Jesus Christ. So he completely forgave us. This is Revelations 5 and 10. They sang a new song. Saying, you're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have been, and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on earth. Now this is really, we're going to look at this in much more detail as we continue in the series. But you're worthy. Jesus is worthy. And it says right in the middle of this, you have redeemed us to God by your blood. So we're going to look at redemption here in a few minutes. But the point is that Jesus paid with his life so that we might have life. He gave his life so that we could be redeemed. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself, through Jesus Christ has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. My point in sharing these is to, again, to point out the fact that this is God's love. God's love was that he gave us his son to go to the cross, to die, to shed his blood, to not just cover our sin, but to completely redeem us and join us to father. We've been reconciled to God. Now, this is really amazing, the process of what I want to delve in here a little bit deeper. Jesus just, he didn't just die for our sin. He, he became sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, that's an amazing statement. But here's the real point. God saw us dead. There was no way that we could do enough good works to gain acceptance of God, God. The, the bridge, the gap that sin causes... Man cannot make up. Man can't work his way to God. Man can't do anything to get to God. Man, there's no good works, there's nothing that man can do. So God Himself saw man's plight and had a solution for man's plight. So not only did He come as man to live a sinless life, but He lived in such a way, and he, when He goes to the cross, He literally took our sin. He literally became our sin. Now, this is a uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Wow. Again, let me say this. This is so powerful. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. It was for us. Now that's the Father. The Father loved us so much that he literally took our sin and Jesus took our sin and became our sin. All for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We, are, we don't make ourselves righteous. He made us righteous. This is Romans 5 verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. This is is Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14. You being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him. Having forgiven all of our trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirement that was against us, contrary to us, He has taken it out of the way, have nailed it to the cross. These are passages that I hope that you will go back and, and spend some time reading. They're powerful. First John 4, 9 and 10 said, this is the love of God that was manifested toward us. God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that he loved, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the repitiation for our sins. Again, that's a word that we don't usually use, but that means that the wrath of God against sin was placed upon Jesus. <clears throat> this is Romans chapter 5, verse 89. God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And the last one we'll read here is Romans 5, 20. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through death of his son, how much more having been reconciled should we be saved through his life? The point of sharing all that is that Jesus literally took our sin. He didn't just die for us. He died as us. He died. He took our sin. <clears throat> this is really, really important. Now, we're going to talk about it some more about dealing with their sin issue, but the point is, is that all of this represents the amazing love of God. He saw us dead in our trespass and sin, and he knew that we need to be born again. We need to be saved. We need to be forgiven. It was only through Jesus. So the question is, do you have life, or are you living in death? It's that simple. Remember, this is John three thirty-six. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. It's very clear in God's in God's economy, we need to recognize you're either living in life or you're living in death. It's not a bunch of options here. If you receive him and his provision for paying for your sin, then he grants us life. If you choose not to, you're going to abide in death. The wrath of God abides upon you. There's really no in-between position. There's no like, well, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, I sort of do good. And I think I've done enough good. No, you either have life or you're in death. It's not an either or situation. Uh, and so the only way to have life is to believe and to receive the provision that Jesus has made for you. All of this is the love of the Father. This is how he loves you. He loved you so much that he gave, gave his son to die for you, to take my sin, take your sin upon himself and to literally go to the cross, the punishment that was due me, that was due you, he took it. The death that we deserved, <clears throat> he died. And so all of this speaks of how much God really loves us. Now this is Romans 8. Verse 35, and then I'm going to skip to 38 and 39. <clears throat> Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Should tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, nakedness, peril of the sword? And then verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present or things to come, nor height nor depth or any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Tell so, the point is, again, the cross. It represents the greatest expression of love there ever was, the love of God. It is the supreme sacrifice. It was costly. It cost Jesus his life. The blood that he shed, we deserve to shed. He did it for us. He redeemed our life. But it, again, it's expressing the love of the Father. Now, this is a prayer, it's in Ephesians chapter 3, and I want to read this prayer and then I'm going to pray, but the reason that prayer is in the Bible is because God knows this is what we need. He knows exactly what we need, and he's saying, look, if you pray this, then I'm going to answer that prayer, because he knows that's exactly what we need. So instead of trying to, I'm trying to figure out what to pray, he put a prayer here, this is Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, beginning of verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Now, Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints. What is the width, length, and depth, and height to know the love of Christ with past knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let me just stop there for just a moment. This is the prayer. The prayer is that we might know this expansion, this, how unbelievably awesome this love is. And I just want to, if you think, go with me here, it said that we would know the width and the length and the depth and the height, of his love. Now, first and foremost, I want you to think about that. There's no end to the width and the length and the depth and the height. There's no end to that. That's what he's trying to get across. But if you think about what I just did here, you did it. that's a cross. And the cross represents the greatest love there ever was. That's how much Father loves you. That's how much he loves me. And the prayer is that we don't just have some understanding He said that we'd be able to know the love of God, which passes knowledge. So it's not about just having head information. It's about experiencing the love of the Father, to be filled with the fullness of God. So I want to pray, and I want to close this this part with just talking about, again, the cross is the key. Father, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you for your amazing love. We thank you, Lord, that the cross represents the greatest expression of love there could ever be. I pray that every one of us would be able to comprehend and apprehend the fullness of your love. And every time that we see a cross, every time that we see something that looks like a cross, I pray, Lord, it would remind me personally, wow, that's how much you love me. Father, we are so grateful. We're so thankful for the cross. We thank you, Lord, that it's the ultimate victory of all time, and we love you, we bless you, and we just thank you now, amen. We hope you enjoyed this timely message. Pastor Terry and Susan Moore had a life-changing encounter with the Lord in August of 1982. They opened their home to a Bible study which turned into a church now located in Carrollton, Texas. They have never been the same and hope that you encounter Christ in a real way. For more, connect to JTerryMoore.org.